stage, Christine and Michael Corbett-Jones. Thank you for coming today. And do you want to grab that mic? That's it. Thank you for coming today. So, Christine, I heard you've been a high school teacher for 42 years, and Michael, that you are a Christian counsellor and psychologist. You have both been involved in youth work for many, many years. You have four children, I think it's 11 grandchildren, and you've had a pretty interesting life. You've basically, um, which has involved travel and living in other countries. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? I don't want to put you off. I really don't. It's important that you see us as fairly normal people, but we were missionaries um, and for 13 years we lived overseas with our family. First of all in a place called Sabah, which is North Borneo, and um, then we went to Hong Kong, sort of from totally uncivilised to totally over-civilised really, but it was a lot of fun. Our children grew up in those countries and still see them as home. Um, they had great experiences, so um, when we came home to Australia, it was back into life here, teaching and Michael uh, counselling. But uh, it's an experience that we really, we really love. It's a great part of our life. Hmm. So you're both, um, as we said, you're a Christian counsellor and psychologist. So do you um, meet a lot of teenagers in that environment? I do work with uh, many teenagers and also the families, the parents of teenagers and of course having four children of our own we've been through the teenage stage with our children and now we can observe from a distance some of our grandchildren going through the teenage stage so we have grandchildren that range in age from what is it two years? Two years up to uh, 21 years. So we're now sort of looking at it from a distance and seeing how our children are coping with their children. And it's quite an interesting observation. In addition to that, uh, on a weekly basis, I have the privilege of meeting with parents and uh, families and teenagers and talking with them about the way they're seeing life and how they're coping with it. So it's a very interesting life. Fantastic. Well, I might hand it over because I'm really keen to hear um, some of the pointers you have. Thank you. Well, thank you. The uh, topic that we've been given is, uh, Mum, there's a guy I really like. Now, I'm asking you to imagine that this is being said to you at a time in your life when it would be relevant. So some of you who are older, you have to think back to what it might have been like or was like when one of your children said that to you. And uh, those of you who have young children, you're going to think ahead a little bit. But what is your emotional reaction to that comment from your child? Uh, Mum, there's a guy I really like. Now. Are you thinking that it's your daughter saying this to you? And what is your reaction? It depends what age your daughter is when she says it, doesn't it? Supposing your daughter is 18 years of age, you might have an emotional reaction that is feeling a little bit apprehensive. Oh, 18, this could be serious. 
or if your daughter is, say, 22 or 23, you might be a bit more excited and you might think, well, this is good news. Uh, on the other hand, if your daughter is 15 years of age and says, Mum, there's a guy I really like, you think, oh my gosh, 15 years of age, and you begin remembering what it was like for you at that age. Uh, what if your daughter is just 12 years of age and says, Mum, there's a guy I really like? Uh, that could be terrifying. And if your daughter is 10, well, you might just have a nice smile on your face and say, that's nice, dear. <laughs> but I, I want to be realistic. We live in, a, in, in an age where anything goes, and so it's also possible that the person saying, Mum, there's a guy I really like, might be your handsome 17-year-old son. So let's not sort of ignore these possibilities. Uh, on the other hand, we're going to talk about it today as if it's your daughter saying this to you, and we don't want to be sexist, but that's the direction we're going. If it was a son saying it to mum, we would have some different things to say, many of them the same, but we're going to treat this subject as if it's a daughter saying to mum, mum, there's a guy I really like. So our reactions can be very mixed, anything from gladness to fear, and the fear may be based on our knowledge of what can happen in relationships that are happening outside of our control and outside of our jurisdiction. And it might be our fear is based on our memory of what we were doing with our boyfriends when we were that age. And we don't want our daughter to go through that, do we? One of the big problems when um, our children bring home somebody that they like is that the family goes into what I call the Romeo and Juliet syndrome. It's often, not always, but often, the person isn't somebody you would have chosen. And when you first see them, you kind of think, oh my goodness, is this, is this him or her? And your first thought is to um, be hostile, to feel some hostility towards them. They're not the person you would have chosen. And we go into what I call Romeo and Juliet syndrome. Do you remember Romeo and Juliet were surrounded by adults who were against their relationship? The end result was it pushed them further into that relationship and at the end into a very tragic decision for both of them. Now, I'm not saying that will happen with your children, but that hostility can often be masked as funny. We make jokes about the person. We call them a silly name. Um, I remember when I brought home a boyfriend, my brothers always called him by the previous boyfriend's name. <laughs> and they go, oh, sorry, that was uh, a few, while, few guys ago. And I would be, you know, blushing and ashamed and, and, and feeling... Um, hurt and angry at the same time. So we have to be careful that we don't polarise the relationship by being so antagonistic or so aggressive or so hostile or seemingly we're just being funny. We're not. We're really letting her know or him know that we don't approve of this relationship. Unfortunately, <laughs> with teenagers, the opposite will happen. They will like them more because now they're a martyr. 
This guy is not loved and cared for and they will come to his rescue in a big, big way. So as parents, the most obvious and simple way is to try and calm down what's going on inside of you as you look at um, the bald head, the tattoos, the torn singlet, the bare feet, the um, piercings, whatever it is that's offended you. Um, as you do all that, it's really important that you calm it down and just be neutrally warm and accepting as you would any guest in your home. And so you welcome them, you get to know them, you talk to them, you don't pry too much but you ask some good questions um, and you get to know them and you get them involved in your family life. The important part of that is that as your child sees their new guy in the context of your home, they can start to make judgments about how they will fit into the culture that they know. The bad manners or the rudenesses that you see, they will see. They won't talk about it, but they will start to, to tick the boxes and then begin to feel, well, maybe, maybe this doesn't fit. Or on the other hand, the good part might be that they see the guy fits in nicely, that you're warm and welcoming and he feels comfortable, he can relax and be the kind of person that you know he is, a really nice guy. Most of us, I suspect, have married people that our parents did not approve of. Michael's mother cried throughout the whole of our wedding ceremony. <laughs> I did not come from the North Shore or play tennis or dance, or do all the sorts of things that people do that are acceptable. Um, I came from the eastern suburbs. I was at university, and there were a lot of things I think that I could have changed, but the point was they did not like it. We've been married for 53 years, so I guess time is told. This time with the boy and the girl is a time of experimentation for your children. And although they will bring home very people that you feel may not always be going to make them happy or that they will be happy with, it's a time when they're choosing and thinking it through. And that's important then for them to have the freedom to do that. And if you're neutral, kind and accepting, they're more likely to come and talk to you about that relationship and say, you know, I like him but... or. I really like him and, and you can then listen and perhaps be gentle in your questioning with them and help them to sort out, is this the kind of person that I'm likely to want to choose later on when the big choice is going to be made? So then we become supportive, we become their very best helper and support, not their enemy pushing them into relationships that are unsuitable. It can be said generally that our daughters marry someone who is very much like their father. Is that shocking? Is, is that terrifying? Is that scary? Or does that make sense? The, the unconscious forces at work when we're choosing a mate for life are, are very many and very various. The forces that are on the surface, the ones that we can see and the ones we try and manipulate, are a very small part of the equation.
It said that a daughter's first love affair is with her father. And I'm not talking about erotic sexual love, but I am talking about that love that is a very deep feeling, emotional attachment, which later on is transferred to a person of the same age of the opposite sex and is eroticized and becomes an appropriate marriage relationship. But the way a father relates to her daughter has a very big influence on the choices that daughter will make for her mate for life. So let's think about that for a moment. If a father is able to be really empathic with his daughter, that is able to look at life through her eyes and understand and indicate understanding and acceptance and respect, the daughter is going to grow up feeling that she is a person of worth and value and will be respecting herself and will in turn be looking for someone who will respect her. If the father is relating to her daughter in a way that indicates uh, interest and engagement, if the father is the daughter's greatest champion and encourager, then the daughter will be looking for a man who treats her in a similar kind of way. The very best way we can help our daughters to make wise choices is to have a warm, meaningful, affectionate, respectful, empathic and accepting relationship with our daughter. That's quite a challenge for us guys and uh, it may be that we're a long way down the track or maybe we're just starting down that track because our daughters are, are just very young if that is the case, then I want to urge you to think a lot about this, guys, and take this really seriously. Now, just as it's true that a daughter will look for a man who is uh, similar to her father as a good model, it's also true that a daughter who has grown up in a situation where she has not had those good feelings or those good experiences but has felt uh, alienated, rejected, estranged, has spent her adolescent life and teenage life maybe fighting with her parents or seeking parental approval, it's very possible that unconsciously she may choose to marry a man with whom she can continue the struggle she has been having to get her father to like her and love her. What can happen in an estranged or difficult relationship with a father is that the daughter continues to strive to win approval and in marrying someone, marries someone who treats her in the same way that her father has been treating her in the hope that one day she will symbolically get her father to marry her. And these relationships can end up being very tense and very stressful. Now I mention this because if you're starting out with young daughters, uh, this is something to really think about and be careful about. If our daughter 
comes into adolescent and adult life feeling good about herself and feeling loved and accepted, valuing herself and accepting herself, she's much less likely to be inclined to fall into the trap of, come on, darling, let me show you I love you. Let's have sex and that way we can show our love for each other. She's much, much less likely to compromise her values as a way of getting her boyfriend to love her and like her out of a fear that she's not an acceptable person and out of a fear of being rejected. In other words, having a boyfriend won't be the most important thing in her life. The most important thing in her life will be holding her values and respecting herself. And if the boyfriend can't do that, she won't be interested in him. But very often, where this isn't the case, uh, the girl can be very vulnerable and very open to being manipulated into a depth of relationship that is based on her need to be pleasing and her need to be accepted and acceptable. Another kind of risky behaviour that adolescents can engage in uh, can be as a result of their need to rebel against and throw over the uh, values of their parents because they feel these values have been imposed upon them. It hasn't been something that they have worked out together and worked through together and talked about in a meaningful and accepting and engaging relationship, but they have rather felt that their parents have imposed their values on them and they feel that they have been uh, restricted and constrained and dealt with in an authoritarian way. This daughter may well want to say, I'm an adult now, you can't tell me what to do now. Look, I'm going to do this risky behaviour and there's not a thing you can do about it. It's not so much that she wants to engage in the risky behaviour as she wants to show her parents that they can't boss her around anymore. So the quality of the relationship that the parents have with the child from the earliest years is the biggest factor and the biggest determiner in how wise your daughter will be and how circumspect and how appropriate she will be in the decision she makes in choosing the boyfriend she has and in the way she behaves with that boyfriend. We live in a society that really is quite confused about sexual values, I think. Um, if we read the newspapers, we listen to people around us, we hear a variety of ideas about what is okay and what is not okay. And as parents, uh, we're stuck somewhere in the middle. We probably cling to a lot of the values that we were brought up with. And if we're Christians, we obviously look to the values that we are being taught here um, at church and from the Bible and in our growth as Christians. But it's a very confusing and difficult time. And probably the greatest concern we have when a relationship starts is how will our daughter or son handle this relationship Will they be tempted to go down a sexual path long before we wish they, they would? Will they perhaps uh, quickly fall into a sexual relationship with this person and, and regret it? 
And so we fear that for them. We want the very best for them. And we're concerned for them. And we have our values. And as Michael's just said, one of the things that we need to remember is that we start that when they're very little. Children come home from school with stories. Do you find that? There'll be stories about girls at school and boys at school and what they're doing and what they're not doing. And if we listen carefully to what they're saying, we will hear them voicing either concern or disapproval or wondering and questioning about this kind of behaviour. Is it okay or not? And that's our opportunity then. If we have our values clear, it's our opportunity to reinforce to them the sorts of things that we think are okay. Listening for a long time and then gently suggesting the alternative behaviour, the care for other people, not rushing into a sexual into a sexual relationship because we're going to say to the other person, I really, really love you, and we may not be saying that, and that's hurtful and unkind. And so we look at, the, at valuing the person, valuing the relationship, and waiting, realising this may not be the person we eventually marry, and will we live with the regret of that relationship? So these are the issues we want to talk with our children when I was teaching, one of the things that used to concern me greatly, which I can say now I'm not teaching, is that a lot of parents were afraid of children having clear understanding of the whole of, of sexual things. They used to say things like, I don't want to um, tell them too much too soon. The idea being that if they know too much, they're somehow going to rush out and want to try it. Um, and the end result was I think that there is a lot of ignorance too. So that a child may be ignorant of where a relationship may be leading when it's getting really, really sexual in its touching and holding and whatever. And I think they need to be clear in their minds what this means, what their feelings are, where their feelings are located, what is the right time to have sex. Do we approve of that before marriage? We, we, most of us, I would think, would not. We would wish for our children to wait and be thoughtful and take their time and choose wisely and not rush into something that can't be undone. So the time to start that, I think, is when they're little and we need to teach them their bodies are theirs and people don't just touch them at any time they choose. And if they're uncomfortable, they say no. And we teach them that saying no is okay. And if people are offended, if the boy or girl is offended because we've said no, then they're not somebody who's worthy of our respect and love. And therefore, we might want to withdraw from that relationship. In other words, we give them the courage to stand up for what they believe. Now, you're saying to yourself, will my daughter or son rebel? The rebellion Michael is talking about is, it's, it does happen. But I have listened to rebellious children for hours and at the end of their rebellious talk about what they will do and what they will not do, they say, but I know my mum and dad won't like that. Deep in their hearts, if you have been wise and careful with them as they grow up, modelling to them what a good relationship looks like, teaching them to respect their bodies and the bodies of other people, explaining to them why you have these, these rules and suggestions about the way they live their lives, then they will ultimately come back 
to that one ethical principle that you have stayed firm with with them about relationships and the way we treat people. At heart, our kids want to please us. At heart, they take on board what you say. I have it take, I've had it repeated to me endlessly. And when the parent then comes to see me, I say, I know exactly what your principles are in this matter. And I repeat it to them and they go, where'd you get that from? Your child has got that imprinted and basically they want to please you. So don't despair, but you can do some homework. There are some great, great books available now on teenagers and sex and on how to help them at those times when they're making their very, very dicey decisions. Um, one of my children once came to me and said they wanted to go in on a caravan trip with three other friends, mixed sex. And I said, I don't think that's a good idea. And they were horrified that I would be saying no. When I explained how the closeness, proximity of the sleeping arrangements, the dressing and undressing arrangements would naturally lead to other things, it would, they would not be human beings if it didn't. Um, they did see that that may be a wise decision. Probably still at heart, they think I was a bit, bit crusty about it. But basically, that was an opportunity to show them what can happen and how to avoid those situations. And then at the end of the day, if you've been wise and kind and supportive, again, they're likely to come back to you if they have made a mistake. They are people. And like you and I, they do and say and act in ways that they often feel sad and sorry about afterwards. How good would it be if they could then come back to us and say, Mum or Dad, I've done this stupid thing and this is the result and I need to work out what I'm going to do rather than just be hiding it or afraid to talk to us about it. We are their very best supporters. We're not their best friends. We are their best supporters. We're the adult and we need to stand as adults, supportive, secure, strong and sure about what we believe. This book, you'll see it on the bookstall. It's not hard to picture it. It's called Teen Sex by the Book. Now, it's, it's an M-rated book. It is, it is very open and forthright. But it is very clear on some of the issues that you may be wondering, well, well, you know, what do I do about this? How do I deal with this? If you read it first and then at an appropriate time in your child's life, you have this handy that, so that they can take it away and read it they will have a clear idea of what, of what you believe and what you are holding as the, as the way to behave. Ultimately, the book is Christian. And there's no apology for that because God made sex and he knows how to deal with it. He made it for us to enjoy. And it's a great thing. And we want our kids to enjoy it. But we want them to enjoy it in the right context with the right person. Let's think for a moment, what are the qualities that make for a good relationship between a boy and a girl, a man and a woman, that will last for a lifetime? What are the attributes of a good marriage relationship? We come up with words like respect. One of the marriage researchers has said that where there is no respect from one person to the other person, the marriage is in a very shaky, tenuous place. 
respecting each other, valuing each other, accepting each other, being able to acknowledge differences, not having to overrule the other person's difference, but being able to allow them to have their difference, to stand firm with your opinion, being able to share your emotional investment in the way you see things and in the way you want things to be, having your partner hear that and understand it and accept it and then negotiating a way forward that enables you to choose a win-win outcome where one of you isn't feeling that you've been manipulated or you've just given in for a quiet life. This is, uh, these are the qualities that make for a good, lasting relationship. And it is in the plan and purpose of God that this relationship will be enhanced, indeed uh, cemented, by the sexual experiences that the one has of the other. And the greatest contributor to good sex is the emotional climate of the relationship where there is a sense of safety, a sense of being accepted, a sense of being valued, a sense of being cherished. That's where sex is at its best and uh, has its most profound effect and influence and that's where God meant it and intended it to be. Sex outside of a committed relationship is of course enjoyable because sex is enjoyable. It can even be quite compelling. Once the uh, sexual experience has been entered into, it's very hard to pull back from it. But one of the difficulties that young people have who are engaged in a relationship where sex is uh, given and received freely, one of the great difficulties people have is knowing whether this guy is in this relationship for the sexual pleasure that he gets out of it or whether he's in this relationship because he loves me and cares for me. How can you possibly know? You just cannot know. And there are many partnerships that are as, as fine as marriages. There are many partnerships where the girl or the guy is keeping quiet what they really think or what they really believe because they're insecure in the partnership and it's sex that's keeping them together and they don't want to be their true selves because if they are, then the guy may not like who they are and so when they do finally get married, the girl can say, well, now I can be my true self, now I can tell him what I really think and would you be surprised to know that 50% of people who marry, having lived in a partnership, 50% divorce within the first couple of years because of this phenomenon. So what I'm saying is, be yourself, be in a relationship with another person where you can be your true self without the complication of the sexual experiences. That's how God meant it and God intended it. More than that, when God made us male and female, he made us to have a life commitment as being the first priority and sex as being an expression of that commitment and a symbolic representation of the relationship 
that he has with us and Christ has with his church. That sounds like a very high platform to put sex on, but that's where God put it. When a man and a woman leave their parents and are joined to each other, they become one flesh. And that unity is a symbolic union of the relationship that Jesus Christ has with his church. In God's plan and purpose, it is that important. It is that meaningful. It has that place. That is what it should be representing. And any use or practice of it outside of that context brings with it unfortunate confusion and insecurity and uh, dissatisfaction and apprehension. The way God planned it is the way we are best uh, uh, set to achieve it and to present it to our children and uh, they will be blessed and we will be blessed as a result. I believe it's a possibility for questions if you would like to think about that. Okay, that's right. We're going to take some questions now. So if um, there's something that you'd like to ask, if you can put your hand up high and stand up so we can get a mic to you. And um, I think I saw a hand over there. If you could stand up just so that we can see you. It's a bit hard from down the front here. Hi. Um, you explain the importance of a father's relationship with his daughter. I was wondering if that principle is reversed for mothers of sons. How important is that relationship? Yes, I said to Michael, um, he's, he's, very, he's very strong about being a dad of his daughter. Um, but I have three boys and I think it's just the same as a mother. I think the way you treat your boys with warmth and respect and the way you expect them to be respectful, kind and polite to you, I think they will then pattern that in their relationship with the women they choose. I, I love my daughters-in-law. I'm so blessed. I have three gorgeous women in my life who are so supportive and fun and lovely and um, great mums. And I think the boys have um, do show them love and respect and kindness. And I watch them as they've been uh, over staying with us in January. And I think... Um, Yes, they do, they do need the same thing from their mother. I think that's how they learn how women think and feel and what is hurtful and what is not hurtful and um, the things that women are interested in. And I think that helps them to relate well and to choose well. Um, they certainly uh, are responsible fathers. They cook, they help with the children. And I think they've seen that. Um, at home that, that both of us share uh, in the children. And yes, I do think that's really important too. And I'm sorry that doesn't come across as strongly. It should because um, the boys will mirror their relationship with their mothers and they'll look for that kind of person, I'm sure. <laughs> it's also true that they are modelling themselves on the way the father relates to their mother and uh, to them in the family as well. 
so goodness knows where my children learned to cook. They certainly didn't get that from me. Okay, from are there. there any other questions? Okay, there's one down the front, one up the back, if we can get a mic. And if you could stand up once you have it so we can see you. Oh, that's embarrassing. Um, if you've got your daughter who really wants to marry someone like me as their father, um, when they ask your comment view on their, their uh, boyfriend, do you be frank and honest and say, nah, nah, don't go there? Or do you support them somehow and say, give it time, because I know what you're saying, but if they respect you and love you and understand you, which is a lot of the case in situations, they'll say, well, what do you reckon, Dad? And you're going to think, ah, next question. Okay. Um, is this on? Yep. Uh, I, I would encourage you to help your daughter explore what it is he or she likes about this guy. So rather than giving your opinion, you would say, tell me what do you find attractive? 